So it's good to be with you guys on Father's Day. Um, when I think about my dad and everything that he has taught me through my life, I'm not sure that there's much that I didn't learn as far as being a human being that he didn't teach me. Um, my mom, I think, taught me how to clothe myself, but anything as far as like paying bills, when I got out of college, I called my dad every week, asking him to you know, teach me how to pay bills, how to fix things in the house, all these different things. Um, and when I, as I'm getting ready to become a father of my own, um, in about two months now, it's getting pretty close to the wire. Um, we're excited, but I look back at the things that my father has taught me and the example that he's given me, and um, that's the only way that I feel like I can be a father, is because he always exemplified what it meant to be a man of God and what it meant to be a father. And I think the way he did that is he always pointed me towards our Heavenly Father. Um, and we know, and we've talked about this, we sing songs about it, that God is a good, good father. And I just want to reflect on that today. Um, I'm so thankful for the men in my life that have taught me what it means to grow up and become an adult. Um, I don't think fathers necessarily always have to be mature, which is awesome. But there's something about pointing towards God, pointing towards Christ as the ultimate example of being a father. Um, so thank you. Thank you to the dads um, that have been in my life. Thank you for what you do for your children. Um, your example matters. And so I'm thankful for what you've done for me and what you continue to do for the community. Um, so would you pray with me as we get started? Lord, we thank you that you are a good, good father. And that when you look at people, when you look at us, God, you don't see our mistakes, you don't see our failures, you just see somebody that you love, somebody that you created. And so, God, I pray that as we walk through the book of James again today, that you would just open our hearts. You would point out the things in our life that we need to um, give up to you, God. I pray that you would show us how um, the things in us that need to change, the things that need to become more like you, God. In your name, amen. So we're on week three in the book of James, and we've made it through about one chapter. <laughs> so we're going to continue today. If you guys have your Bible, go ahead and open in the beginning of uh, chapter two. We're going to keep going through there. Uh, but before we start, I think there's a lot of things that we tend to talk about. Uh, we, we talk about certain attributes of God a lot. You know, we talk about his love. We talk about um, his mercy, um, his power in our circumstances. Um, how he, he knows us to our very being. And we, and we tend to talk about um, maybe things that we can exemplify or we can apply to our lives, like his forgiveness. You know, he teaches us to forgive like he forgives us. Um, he teaches us to love like he loves us. He teaches us all these things. But I think there's one attribute that we very rarely talk about, which is kind of weird because scripture is plastered with it. And it's God's impartiality to humans. God does not respect humans differently. And that is so different than when we, we are, isn't it? We tend to look at the outward appearance of people. And I know in my life, I, I can judge people very quickly. And so writing this sermon was not easy. Writing this sermon took a lot of reflection because God was saying, look how easy it is to do this as a human being. And I, if you don't think that's necessarily true, I'll prove it to you. All right? So I wore this suit jacket on purpose today. If you look at a young person dressed up, super nice, what, what are some of the labels that you would think? Successful, um, a go-getter, entrepreneur, um, smart, well-dressed, confident. Those are some of the things that we immediately think of when we see somebody. 
Now, what would happen if I were to get rid of all this, not all of it, don't freak out. <laughs> and that's recorded too, I'm never gonna live that one down. What would happen if today I came up here to preach and I got rid of all this external stuff? I have paint on my shirt because we painted our nursery yesterday. I have an untucked white t-shirt, no shoes. What would you think immediately now? Lazy? Maybe comfy, yeah. I know a lot of people look at me and say, oh, he's just a lazy millennial. Sloppy. He uh, probably wants everything given to him. And so we do this, whether we know it or not. And so I think this scripture today has spoken to me in a way that has made me sit back and kind of say, okay, Justin, can we admit that this is going on so that we can work through it? God does not judge on the outward appearance of anybody. When we do that, it's not of God. There's no way it can be of God because he does not do that. Scripture makes it very clear that the only thing God judges people on is their heart, the condition of their heart. So let's go ahead and open up to James chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now let's kind of set the scene a little bit. So in, this is in the early church, right? People are starting to come and meet regularly, trying to figure out who this Jesus was. Um, it's pretty fresh after he had come. And so a lot of um, the churches weren't as established as, as we know churches now. And so he's explaining a situation that he was seeing where people would come and uh, they were being shown preferential treatment because of their wealth. And so in, in this society, it was pretty normal for people to wear rings, for men to wear rings, um, but to wear a gold ring. Now that's saying something. That would, have been, that would have been very much like someone walking in with a Rolex and a super fancy suit and like check, you know, checking their phone, all, or their the phone, checking their watch all the time, saying, kind of pointing to it, hey, this is me, I'm, this is a, a symbol of my status. And so when this man walks in with this ring, we get this feeling, this gold ring, that he is expecting someone to show him preferential treatment. And so they take him, they give him the best seat in the house, and a lot of times in churches, people don't like the front row now. I don't know what it is, but that day it would have been right there because that would have been a, a, a status thing. And then this, this poor man comes in, and if you go to the original text, it might have, it might have said something more like beggar. So it would have been a stinky person, someone that didn't bathe a lot, someone that maybe only had one pair of clothing. And you know what they did? It says this. They, they told him, oh, uh, go stand over there. Yeah, that's a good place for you. Or you know what? Um, you can sit at my feet. You know, you can be like my footstool. And I think it's interesting in this, in this um, context, James isn't really saying that the man coming in and, and kind of showing off his vanity, he's not talking about that as the sin. He's not pointing that out. He's not even pointing out um, anything along the lines of when you come to church, you should be dressed up or you should look nice or you should wear shoes or whatever. 
he's not pointing that out as a sin at all. What he's pointing out is the response of our hearts and the response of our judgments in those circumstances as Christians. And I think that goes not just um, during church services, obviously, but into our entire lives. God only judges on the heart of somebody. I think the real sin comes when we decide to look at people and we, we assign values to them. We look at people and we assign values. Are you worth my time? Are you worth getting to know? Are you worth being in the same room as me? If we look at our society today, it is, it is just full of judgments and prejudice. And I'll tell you what, something that's been heavy on my heart this week has been the shootings in Orlando. And not just what happened, but the response to what happened. No matter what, I will tell you this from everything that scripture says, God grieved on that day. God mourned on that day because 49 people lost their lives. 49 people that he valued deeply died. Can we back up and stop talking about gun laws? Stop talking about the LGBT community and 49 Human beings lost their lives that day. The heart of God breaks for stuff like that. And ours should too. So no matter what somebody else's um, life situation is, their economic status, even their personality, even their, their lifestyle. You know, I was, I was just scrolling through Facebook and I saw this video. It was a, a comedian, um, but he was very... Um, pronounce he's gay all the time, very much involved in the LGBT community. He, re- he posted a video to Christians, and he said this. He said, if I'm okay, if I'm okay with you thinking that I'm going to go to hell for my sins, if I'm okay with still being around you, why are you not okay with being around me? Why are you so not okay with just being around me and just treating me like a human being? See, our society nowadays, we see this over and over and over and over. And I think Facebook is probably the worst because it's so impersonal at times. But we decide to value people's humanity based on what we see on the outside. And James would very clearly say that is a sin and that is evil. And in my my own heart, I have had to come to terms with this. Throughout my life in different situations, the judgments that I have made, realizing that that is sin in my life. Another pastor wrote it this way. He said it is a serious sin because look what he says at the end of verse 4. Talking about the end of verse 4 in James. You have become judges with evil intent. The word evil means vicious. You're just like a sinful world. You're motivated to cater to the rich and the prominent and shun and slight the poor and the common. That's anti-Christian behavior. This has no place in the people of God. See, we need at all times, to see people in the same way that God sees them, just in having value because they're made in the image of God. And I think when we believe that, when we start to look at other people that way, it'll also change how we see ourselves. Because I think a lot of our judgments may come out of our insecurities. I know they have in my life, where I felt weak or, or, um, or dumb or, or pathetic or whatever. And so I look at other people and I, I begin to judge them. Maybe it makes me feel better. What James is saying, the kingdom of God shows no partiality between persons. See, everybody is worth a place at the table with us. 
regardless of what they believe, regardless of what they wear. They deserve and they're worthy of having a place at the table with us in the kingdom of God. Moving on to verse uh, 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones that are dragging you in the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to who you belong? See, God has always, um, and I want to be careful of what I say here, because God has always chosen the poor. He's always favored the poor. Now, you just heard me say that God is impartial to persons, and I'll tell you what I mean by this. God has always been on the side of the oppressed, because it's, the people that are in power that oppress them. And, and the people that are oppressed recognize that they need God. And, and we talk about on Sundays how we are broken people, that we need God. All of God's children, and you look at the, you look at the, um, the history of the church, it was primarily made up of poor individuals. And I'm talking about economic status. Just poor individuals generally made up the church because they realized how deeply they needed God to supply for their every need. And you look at the world nowadays, how the church is exploding in regions that are in poverty. And so our response as Christians is always to say, okay, God, I'd say most of us in terms of the entire world are not poor. We're not. I think everybody feels like they never have enough money, but in reality... We all need to come to the place where we realize that we are broken. And that we are in desperate need of a good, good father. The rich tend to get by on their own. They tend to think they have everything they need. They tend to have the money, the capabilities, the manpower, the resources, whatever it is, to take care of the small problems in their lives. And so I think what happens as um, people who are generally okay, well-off. As Christians, we can tend to become kind of complacent where um, we realize we need God in the worst times, but we don't always feel like we need God in the easy times. And so God has always been, his kingdom has always been filled with the poor. And so coming into this context in this time, he would, he, James was saying, listen, the church is showing you are you're primarily made of economically poor individuals. That is what the basis of the church is right now. And so a rich person comes in, and you are going to show them preferential treatment like they're better than you. This goes completely against the gospel, but what I've been trying to teach you, that there is no difference between persons in my eyes. And he, said, he even said this, aren't the rich the people that would drag you into court? Aren't the greedy the people that would drag you into court? So why would you show them preferential treatment when I am giving you away, when I am trying to keep you from being oppressed. He said, it just doesn't make sense to me. The religious leaders of that day, um, even when, even before this, when Jesus was still on earth, you could see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders tended to use their wealth and their status to suppress um, well, Jesus, you know, he's trying to change the world. He's trying to tell everybody who he is, and they're trying, to use, they're trying to protect their status. They're trying to protect who they are rather than allowing him to speak into their lives. And so this is what we see today, too, isn't it? 
We see systems that are put in place that keep people in poverty. We see systems that are put in place that continually um, decide who is worth being successful. Job interviews. If I came into a job interview like this, how many jobs would I, would I get? As opposed to if I was in a suit. That's the way our world works. And what James is saying is we, as Christians, do not operate the same way the world does. In so many different aspects. Not just in this. But if we believe that, we don't operate in the same, under the same laws of the world. That's what the church is meant to be. It's meant to be different. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in our lives, I think we have this idea of what a law is. It's something that keeps us from doing something, right? I mean, that's what our societal code is based off these laws. It's always like, don't speed because you're going to kill somebody or um, all these different laws that we, we realize that this has been put in place. Um, some are fair, some aren't, but we always see a tendency with a negative connotation. And so when we talk about the law of the Old Testament, it's, it's more than that. See, I believe that everything that was in the law was, was um, meant to point to people towards God. It was meant to point them towards Christ, the ultimate goal. And I look at things like this is just, I know this is a sidebar, but in the Old Testament, they told uh, children were not to be circumcised till after the eighth day. And I'm, that must have been just some religious thing to them. But now we come to know now that um, children or uh, baby boys don't have the clotting capabilities until after about day eight to be able for that bleeding to stop. And that's why they give them vitamin K injections now when they're, when they're first born. So even some of these things that make no sense why they were that way, God was always protecting his people. He was always giving them a way to stand out from the rest of the world. And he was ultimately pointing them towards Christ. And when, when the religious leaders came to Jesus at one time and they said, okay, you know, what's the most important law? What's the most important thing? If there was one thing you were going to tell us, he, he kind of stopped and he answered and he said, all right, everything the prophet said, everything the law said can be summed up in this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what James is saying is here, the law that you know brings freedom. It's not a law that suppresses you. It's not a law that's meant to make you um, feel like you can't do certain things. It's a law that points towards Christ and all these things, because they knew this law. You know, the Jewish people would have had a very deep understanding of Leviticus, of Deuteronomy, of all these crazy laws. They would have known it all. And so what James is saying, he's kind of, he, he's kind of, reimagining it almost like you you think of it this way but this is the law that gives freedom and so speak as christians speak and act as if you are actually governed by this law that you claim to be governed by i mean he's kind of blunt but i like it because i need it in my life it's really easy to sugarcoat things and what james is saying 
speak and act as if this law that I claim to follow is evident in my life. And so he says, if you look at the entire law and you believe and obey all these things, but you do not, you show favoritism and you decide not to follow this one, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. Because Jesus, Jesus isn't interested in me if I am going to follow every single law, but choose which ones I want to break. He's interested in me. I mean, he, that is not the, the type of relationship that he wants. That's not what he requires. And so I think a lot of times, even if it's not favoritism, we tend to find we we tend to have sins that we just excuse away. For my life, honestly, this was one of the biggest things I dealt with was judgment. I was the most judgmental teenager in the world. And I realized at one time that it didn't matter what else I did right. It didn't matter if I did everything else right. My heart was not okay. And that means that in the eyes of God, I was not in a relationship with him. And, and so James says, you can't, you, you can't hear me on everything else and then not do this. You can't, you can't hold on to this favoritism. You can't hold on to this judgment and call yourself a Christian because if you're guilty of breaking one of these, you're guilty of them all. But he said this, and mercy will always triumph over judgment. So in our lives, there is nothing that we can do that can ever separate us from the love of God. There's nothing we can ever do that will ever make us unworthy of his love because he looks not at anything we've done, not at anything that's external. He only looks at the value of who we are in being his creation. How can I claim to be made in the image of God and treat somebody else like they're my footstool? How can I claim to be made in the image of the creator and treat somebody else like they're better than me? It works both ways. And I'm not talking about, Kyle is our pastor. I'm not saying that we shouldn't submit to his leadership. I'm not saying that those are an authority of you. You should say, well, you know what Jesus told, or James told me in chapter two that, um, you know, you're not really above me. You know, we're all the same. God doesn't look at you any better than he looks at me, so I don't have to follow you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying in terms of our value, in terms of looking at other people and um, just their worth in the eyes of Christ, that we're all the same. Mercy triumphs over judgment in our lives. When Christ died, mercy triumphed over judgment. We believe that in our own lives, and as Christians, we need to live lives that tell others that is true in their life by the way we act towards them. There was a pastor, um, I'm not quite sure which church it was, um, but I heard a story of a pastor who was going to, um, he was just going to become the head pastor of this huge church. Not many people had gotten to know him yet because the church was so big, and so what he did is he, he the first Sunday he was getting introduced, he um, took his dirtiest clothes. He had a big beard, so he just ruffled it up. He didn't shower for two or three days before he went to church. And he walked into the church. He was going to start pastoring that day. And he just observed. He observed how many people walked by him. No idea who he was. No idea that he was going to lead that congregation. Walked by him and ignored him because of the way he looked. And so you can imagine their faces when he got on the stage. They're like, man, what's that guy doing getting up on stage? He doesn't have any shoes on, you know? He said, 
my heart breaks. My heart breaks. Because of the way I looked, because of the way I was treated, this should not be, friends. This should not be. And that's the same thing James would say. If we believe that we are valuable in the eyes of God, then that means everybody else is too. It means the person that cuts us off on the road, right? The people that blaspheme us, the people that talk bad about us behind our back. It's not easy. It's not easy to see these people as people of God when we feel like they've slighted us. But it's what we're called to do. And as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, God will always be there through the difficult times, the things that are you are trying to work on. God promises that he will be there to give you the encouragement, the power to make it through those circumstances. You know, and maybe that means letting go of something that you've been holding on to for years. Bitterness. Whatever that is. Can we begin to allow God to do what he promises he'll do in our lives? And that's to carry us through those circumstances and those things. See, I like this thought. Jesus is the great equalizer. And it's all throughout scripture. We just don't necessarily talk about it. Maybe we don't like it. But one day, no matter what we have succeeded with in our life, no matter what we have failed at in our life, if we call upon the name of Jesus, there's a day when everything will be equal. Nothing we have accomplished will will matter. Nothing that we have failed at will matter to him. What matters is going to be what we have done with our lives in relationship to God and allowing him to work in our hearts. And that's, that's why there are so many poor, and there are so many poor in the church, because that is hope. But I'll tell you what, it's also hope to know that if I'm rich and I have a lot of stuff, I'm still a person to Jesus. It can be really easy to become an icon or to become a workaholic. But Jesus promises that none of that matters and we can, we can let go of that. We can let go of that desire to always be the best or that need to be the best to prove that we're worthwhile. Man, college nowadays, I can't tell you how many people how many young, young people fail a test or have a tough semester and feel like they are worthless because it is built on proving that you're good enough to get a degree. Jesus wipes that away. For you, for me, today, tomorrow, forever, it's all done with. And I know, I know it's not that easy sometimes to let go. But can we start to allow God to speak that truth into our lives? I've got one more story. Um, it's from Matthew chapter 20. And it's a, it's a parable that Jesus is, um, is speaking. He says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friends. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who's hired you la who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do that? Or to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Most of my life, I was exactly like those workers. See, I became a Christian at the age of four. I, I was at my bedside. My dad was a pastor. I was always in church. And I said, I want to be a Christian. I know this is what I want to do with my life. I want to follow Christ. So my entire life, I did all the things, all the works right. You know, I, I, I did Bible quizzing. I went to church camp. I helped with the kids. You know, I did all those things that were good things. And I judged the living daylights out of people. And so we have these people that come to know, come to know Christ. They're in all different, or in this, in this circumstance, they come to work for this landowner. And all these different times, all these different places. Um, and I imagine the first people, like probably I did when I was younger, I look, he looked, the first workers looked at us like, man, they were lazy. They weren't even working. They didn't even call you Jesus. Like, they haven't been doing the right things. So they're not as good as we are. In my life, man, talk about feeling like I was a good Christian and looking at others around me and saying, man, they've only been a Christian for a couple weeks, you know, it's okay, I know what I'm doing, I'll teach you, or it's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm better. Jesus is the great equalizer. It does not matter what you've done, it does not matter what you think you've done, good or bad. The message of the gospel is that Jesus does not show any partiality to people. The value of your heart, the value of who you are as being made in the image of God is the same amongst this room, regardless of race, economic status, lifestyle choices. Listen to me. Jesus loves you just as much as he loves me, and he loves us just as, he, as much as he loves every single person that was murdered in that place. And so we live in a society where Christians are the first ones to cast judgment. This cannot be. This is not the way of Jesus. We are called to be anti-world in that sense, that we don't operate the same as the world does. And so as we go from this place today and celebrate Father's Day, go back to work, whatever it is, every time, just allow God to speak truth in your life. If you are like, man, that person is, oh, I don't like them. Allow God to say that is a child, that is one of my children. 
It will transform the way you look at others. It'll transform the way you look at yourself. Because that truth, if you start applying it to others, you'll have more ability to allow yourself to have mistakes, to not be perfect. And I tell you today that God loves you and he is desperate for your heart. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that you are a good, good father. God, we thank you so much for your example and not just giving us a bunch of laws to follow that point towards you, but literally becoming human so that we can look at the life of Christ and see his love for people and follow that, God. And I thank you so much that it's not of our own power that we're doing this. You said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Can that be true in our lives today, God? That in our weakness, your power would empower us, God, to live lives like Jesus. God, let us not be complacent. Let us not do what the world does. Let us love with reckless abandon those that you love. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. You are good, you are large, you are in charge, and we thank you today for that truth, God. In everything we do, we want to honor you, we love you, in your name. Amen.